and welcome to our new episode of Two Debate. Uh, as usual, we have three debaters uh, around the table, around the virtual table. Um, so we have Dirk in Germany. Hi, Dirk. How are you? Hey, Lydia. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Everybody healthy, everybody nice. The weather threw some sun and rain at me, which is exciting because when I look outside the window, I can have the full scope of German weather. And uh, and I'm debating with the two of you. And I just thought to myself, I need to go and and um, register three debate dot uh, eu mm. for us. I think it's by now it's three debate and not two debate. <laughs> it's not a play of words anymore. <laughs> or maybe X debate, just X in case debate. you have random numbers. Uh, or I register one to ninety nine debate dot eu and they all point to the same <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Debating on your own might be a bit tricky, but. Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> and, and we also have so Sebastian in Switzerland. Whoa! Whoa! Bravo! There's so, there's so many fans. Oh my god! I'm, I'm so honored. Thank you, my fans. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Oh my god! I didn't know we why, had so, such why, an audience. Why did we? Why did we decide against the video podcast against Sebastian? I wonder. I wonder why. <laughs> By the way, Lydia, and for our audience, just because it took me some time to pronounce Dirk's names properly, but it's actually the the I, the way you pronounce it in French as well. So E. If I'm not incorrect, right, Dirk? Yeah, correct. Right, Dirk. Dirk. So I know it's un it's confusing because you, ha you have the same name in English, so we have a tendency to print, and then we speak in English, so that's why. But the proper pronunciation is like the E, the French E. I say French because Lydia and I are French. Well, technically, I'm French. <laughs> well, that, so 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 your pronunciation is Sebastian. Well, mine is is an exception because I'm always special in so many different ways. But let's not get into this. <laughs> That would be a debate, uh, a debate in itself. If you pronounce it the proper French way, but it's not the way my mother calls me since I'm born, it's Sébastien. I-A-N at the end is on, but it's not even the French first name. The usual French name is Sébastien, but that's not on my passport name either. Okay. So the way I'm called in French is Sébastien, and in, in English or German, it would be the way you pronounce it. I'm sure. Anyway, as long as as long as you give me some name that I can recognize, considering my family <laughs> name is so freakingly complicated, just, just tell me something that I can say. Oh, that's me, right? Like this is this would help. Okay. How about so you, Lydia? Well, I'm still in between places, but in France, and feeling pretty good. So yeah, ready to do this. We have three really cool motions for, for tonight. So. Well, we have one really cool and two cool <laughs> motions. And two we should say. Of course, because we're never at your level. I, I didn't say which one. Thank <laughs> you. I'm so honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such an audience. Such an audience. Oh, my God. Wow. Thanks for inviting uh, an audience that is so supportive. <laughs> I hope they're vaccinated, though. Yeah, yeah, they are. And we are so, f you know, we have such an easy time to be distant from them on the stage that we are on because it's such a big mm. and, and far away stage. And yeah. So there's five meters between each audience. Yeah. Each so audience the there. first motion we'll cover today. Which one is it? Dirk's motion. He was the first one coming up with a motion 
about three years ago, no, three months ago, you came up with that motion. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying this because you I, you surprised me at least to with a motion you were already keen to debate on today, three about three weeks ago. Well, immediately after our recording, I have yeah, to say, right? Ah, so it's like a, a month ago. Yeah. So uh, what was the motion again? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the motion. Damn the it. motion is most business trips and most offices are useless. We should use the changes imposed by this thing called COVID to make it impossible to bounce back to past habits. So just for context, would you like to explain to us what this COVID thing is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's like uh, you know, you if you ever seen one of those apocalypse move apocalypse movies where uh, you know a virus decimates people. Virus. No, that was not a name to call you. So that was not my name. That was not your name. <laughs> But the audience is freaking out. Yeah, it's uh, such a such an interesting plot. Um, plot twist that happened, and we are in in uh, you know several stages of shelter at home orders. Of course, still, I look at the world as it is right now, and it feels like something that we all knew all along became reality. Um, we realize most of the trips that we used to need and think that they are absolutely necessary are actually not not required. Uh, most people work from home, and I. I'm not saying all business trips um, are useless, but it turns out we can still do business and uh, have meetings and conversations, make decisions and move projects uh, along, even though we stay at home and not in an airplane. And so I would say uh, there's a risk. So as soon as uh, everybody is vaccinated and we are over this pandemic, people will jump back to prior habits. And of course, there's another crisis looming that people like to forget right now, which is the global climate crisis. And why not? Why not just you know? Why not just continue not doing those stupid business trips now that we learned um, not doing it? That was my thought here. I I know Sebastian Sebastian prepared uh, both sides for a guess. The audience freaks out. Oh, wow. Underwear is thrown on the stage. Teddy bears fly in his direction. Um, I, I okay, accept so bitcoins also thrown to me <laughs> these days. <laughs> yes. All right, I've got four pluses and four minuses. Which side do you want to cover? Uh, I am obviously uh, a pro on this one. Okay, go ahead. So you got 30 seconds. I can go with that. Okay, let's do this. So it's long overdue that we deal with the urban problems that are linked to office concentration and office hours. So just to say it very briefly, urban sp sprawling, transportation, uh, bad housing conditions, etc. So there's obviously this is my area of exper expertise, but I can give you many examples and many public uh, references of uh, publications that show how how the these urban problems are linked to um, to these concentration of office hours. Uh, just to give one example, uh, the transport system is overcrowded for maybe three hours per day, but then it's empty for the rest of the day and night, and it's calibrated for the office hours. Uh, obviously, everything that's in industry or 
uh, retail doesn't have the same hours uh, of, of work, so doesn't doesn't fit into those those rush hours. And this, of course, has repercussions on the uh, on the environment and on the economy, on on many other domains. Another uh, argument for making it impossible to bounce back to past habits is to at last uh, uh, demand that the promise uh, held by the laptop computers uh, in the 80s, that they, they, they actually deliver on that promise. I don't know if, you, if you've seen this, uh, this ad by, um, was it, it was Commodore, uh, the first laptop in 83, uh, where a, a, a businessman was in his, uh, in his uh, pool, swimming pool, uh, with his laptop on the, uh, on the edge. Uh, so it was the first uh, ad of digital nomads. Are you keeping up with the Commodore? Because the Commodore is keeping up with you. And so this has been the promise of laptops, the promise of all these tech companies for, for decades now. And until now, it hasn't actually been a reality uh, until, until now, until COVID, where actually people work remotely more than they work in the office. So I think it's it's about time, some 40 years after that this promise uh, be held, and that our that our general um, uh, life conditions uh, get better, that we choose where to where we can live, what at what time we want to work, that we we have a a better, a better balance between work and and personal life. So yeah, th- those would be my two main arguments. I'm going to leave it at that for the moment. I'm not the most sociable person. I'll freely admit that. But I'm still a social animal. What does that mean? Humans are social animals. They like, they need to be in the direct presence of their fellow human beings. And even if you think you can be perfectly fine without being in contact with them, there is a a necessity which comes from the fact that you understand things better when you're in context. And I'll give you two specific examples. One is body language. There are aspects of body language that sometimes cannot be perceived very well virtually. But also I'll give you another specific example which baffled me, but that was when I go to the US, to our offices in the US, and realizing that shockingly, a lot of the people take their commute back home around 3 to 4 p.m., and I have no idea. And as a, I guess, a European used to work until easily six or seven p.m. That's a stark cultural difference that I I would not realize if I were not there. Now you could say I could live without this. That's true, without knowing that. But it's all this fabric that makes society understanding the social norms, the cultural norms, and how you can work with somebody else. And also, it's not just about this necessity of understanding the cultural context. It's also it makes it more enjoyable to just see others, to laugh at the cafeteria or in the micro kitchen that we have at Google, or when we get the chance to travel, to just be in another setting. It's just refreshing instead of always being in the same environment. Um, I have one, one more thing I could add, but I'm going to leave it out. It's, very, it's slightly, yeah, I'm going to leave it out. You can cut this off. So that's about it. Dirk, what are your take? What is your take on this? 
I don't think that all the travel that we used to have is necessary. So yes, to we are social animals. Yes, to it is enjoyable, but um, it's not necessarily about being enjoyable. You can enjoy people that live closer to you. You can enjoy people to some extent through virtual connections as well. The theory we had is that we are more efficient by traveling around is a little bit debunked um, in the in the past uh, 12 to 16 months, I, I would say. Because it's, uh, first off, um, our, our traveling workforce is a small group of people to start with. I would say two-thirds of the kind of meetings we had, we can easily do virtually. We could balance off by having having much less and much more productive meetings over the course of the year and, uh, and then do the rest um, purely virtually. Uh, my my point is right now it would require a few changes while quote unquote nobody is looking or caring that makes it maybe prohibitively expensive to just bounce back to what we did before. Um, I do think it's it's good for the planet and not bad if we travel less and if it's good uh, and not bad for the businesses if we make our travel count much more than we used to do in the past. And uh, COVID kind of delivers all the proof that you need that this is worthwhile doing. And we are part of an experiment that society-wide, it's it's a very rare moment in history where we can make these shifts in one move for everyone, instead of just being the one company doing the crazy thing while everybody else is going the easier route, right? So um, yeah, that's my stance. I really think we are we always travel too much, and maybe now is a time to to make a shift um, um, permanent that otherwise would be a very temporary shift. Would you ban all travel? No, but certain types of travel I would ban. What kind of travel would you ban? Short distance travel. There's no reason that yeah that I have to fly through through Germany, for instance. It may you be mean short distance travel by air. Yeah, by air. yeah, short distance travel by air. I think a lot of the personal meetings uh, um, can be balanced out, right? Um, it's and some of the office spaces that we where we that's the other thing I I didn't touch on this yet. But if you think about how ridiculous it actually is that literally. Literally billions of people every single day do nothing but move a two-ton heavy device uh, across the street to get to their office space to do work that at least a significant share of these employees could as well do from home. We we could we could be much more efficient. We could have decentralized offices. We could have uh, you know rotating meeting spaces that kind of follow the workforce. We can we can have majority of uh, meetings happening virtually and some organized in selected spaces. There are plenty of ways that you could organize that differently. And COVID basically showed that at least for some some uh, um, parts of society, this is actually possible. I uh, on the short distance travel by air ban. It's interesting because I believe the French Parliament voted or has planned to vote an exact similar ban. And I thought initially it was a great idea, and then I and I thought, but that's actually me being very, very much of a centralized uh, kind of person. What do I mean by that? If you live in the live in the countryside, the problem if you don't have this short distance plan, uh, travel by air possible anymore. It actually prevents you from connecting to international flights. And no, train stations are not well connected in France, including in France, to the airport. So 
So actually the guy who's rich enough or lives already in the capital city will not be affected. So it's actually not that as simple of a solution. I agree it's stupid when you have w only one leg. Let's say you just need domestic travel. But what about international connections? And the point is, you can say, oh, but that, that let's say it does not apply for international connections, but then it's not viable for the company anymore. Lydia, you want to say something on this? Yeah, it's not exactly a global ban on domestic travel. It's a ban on those domestic flights that are, that are um, a duplicate Of, thing, of, of connections that exist by train. So when there is an efficient train connection, then an, air uh, an airplane company can't... Cannot I operate. I think it's, the same, it's what I'm saying. The point is... It's not exactly it the same because, for example, when I was in, the, in Cantal, so in the, in the middle of France, where there is absolutely no highways, no train, it's just the middle of nowhere, and there was a small um, airport, that connection would stay. That connection to Paris. I'll give you a specific, specific example. Not it's a it's a city next to Paris. There's tons of trains. The problem is if you want to travel internationally from not, you have to go through Paris. And the point is the train stations in Paris are far away from the airports. So it doesn't matter for rich people or people who really live in the in the capital city. It's actually detrimental for people who don't. And all I'm saying is that it's way more nuanced than it looks like. Same thing with decentralized offices. I'm not against it, by the way. I'm just saying it's. let's be very careful because we're very privileged. And people living in cities tend to be more privileged than people living in the countryside. You make it harder for them and possibly more expensive for them, which means it's even harder for them to do leisure travel. Yeah. Decentralized offices. Now, this is an interesting one. Again, the thing is, it's extremely difficult to be able to have people in the office or working from home um, at, and make everyone feel included. It's not easy, and maybe Google is at the forefront of this because we're used to working virtually and having these virtual units and virtual conferences. But I, I, get, I gather that most companies are not very familiar with this. And being able to be at the office and, have, and be inclusive of people online is a hard thing to do. So it's not that, an, that of an easy solution to... I, I don't say that it's easy. Also, obviously, I cannot really come up with anything you cannot shoot down, right? I could answer to you that you don't have, you could pass laws that require companies with office workers to allow them to pick the home office as an alternative and then alternate between those. Like, you know, you could, you, those, those are laws relatively easy to pass right now that in, in like two or three years, right after, after we left COVID, uh, will again, have opposition and had opposition before but you could make it mandatory that companies need to build up infrastructure to to support remote uh, work, uh, work scenarios that's just one example another example uh, i think what lydia said uh, strikes home for me if there is a train connection that is uh, not significantly more complicated to reach than a than a plane connection well then don't use the plane and if you If you must fly in, fly out on the same day, then make it more expensive. They have to, then that's uh, um, the, the market would help. Only if you do that domestic connection, not if you connect for another yes, flight somewhere. Yes, yes, uh, be that as it may. But uh, I, I give you an example. I could, I, I flew in my old job I, more than once. I flew from Munich, which has an air, uh, international airport, to Frankfurt, which has an international airport. And I would like to find a way to prohibit this type of stupidity. And frankly, I did it mostly out of convenience, not thinking much back then about it. But yes, there got to be a way to make that in a, in a nuanced form. All I'm saying is, 
right now we have a pretty strong incentive to build up the infrastructure for these kind of things and many companies just learned that it's even possible that, that we would have denied it earlier and I would like to see that we we are making it more likely than uh, than not uh, that uh, that some of these things stick and I see a risk that they just are pulled back as soon as COVID is over. And as you kept pointing out in another debate we had on this channel, uh, post-pandemic is pre-pandemic. So uh, the next pandemic will come. So maybe maybe in preparation for the next pandemic, we have some of these, we keep some of these uh, um, learnings in place. I think there are more practical things we can do around office planning and letting people work from home part of the week. I think this is much more applicable, but I am, I, I I think every every topic has to be treated differently. I I I'm not but sure I made my point well. Motion. I didn't put my point. Maybe my point is I did not come across very well about the transportation aspect and how it does not benefit people who have less money, who are less privileged. So it's a very Parisian or centralized um, perspective. And honestly, if I live two hours away from Paris by train or by car or by plane, I may actually end up taking my car to the airport directly. It's faster to take my international flight. So it will be even worse possibly than keeping the international uh, connection with a domestic flight. Except that you don't plan trips internationally every other day. So. We can, listen, we can debate forever. My point is it's, it's, it's a complex aspect because it's just like transportation hubs. When you put a parcel on a main hub, and then they, they get distributed. There are, there are economies of, state, of scale. And it's the same thing for the for environmental environmental uh, savings if, or carbon savings, right? If you put if we, you fill up a plane, it. it's better for that plane to be filled up at one hundred percent and fifty percent, and having the rest maybe using that cars. It's not a it's not a simple equation. Uh, the question is: Are most business trips and most offices useless? Uh, we shifted to the ban on on domestic flights. But I think that's not the core of the subject. The subject is, do we need to go to, to work in the office uh, as much as we did before? Do we need to move around for, for, for meetings as much as we did before? And I feel like even though you argued um, against the motion, uh, I feel like you've, you've more or less said this, that, that we don't need to go back, that, we, that the, the companies can, can try to have more, a more diverse offer. Uh, like people can come to the office, but also work remotely from home, but also work remotely could. from... I don't uh, think it's going to work very well. We could do that. Uh, and also what I did not want to say, but I'm going to say it now, I also don't trust the majority of the workers. I'm sorry to be cynical, but I don't trust most of the people to actually do effective work or any kind of work when there is no supervision. Now, this may be a very old-fashioned way of looking at things, but I do believe that. I do think there is, whenever there's an advantage to be taken, uh, that advantage is, is being abused, especially when there's no supervision. And, but you know, I'm not sure every employee no. would want to have surveillance systems at home because this is what companies, some companies, I'm not saying maybe the well-known ones, but smaller ones may start installing. And you have, by the way, I'll give you an example, French company, call center, it forces uh, employees to have a webcam which is constantly monitoring whether they're in front of their computer. I'm not sure I want to have that. I'd rather go to the office to be able to have a chit-chat at a coffee machine rather than the, the company tracking me whether I'm sitting eight hours in front of my computer every day so here and is, logging into my corporate systems. Here's an interesting um, um, argument to be made. And um, I think what you just said is a strong argument um, but going both ways. 
So one thing is, I do believe uh, people are differently than your cynical worldview makes it sound, but maybe maybe that's, that can go both ways. I would say um, we need to learn how to measure jobs by outcome and not by presence. And uh, if you're, for instance, a developer and you are paid to fix bugs and produce lines of code and whatnot, it's fairly easy to measure if you actually do anything. Um, and, and there are jobs like this. And I give you, there are jobs where this is not as easy. I give you that uh, there are jobs where, um, and maybe also there are people that uh, that are also not made for home office. Maybe maybe there got to be a little bit of a balance, right? But uh, the the point being, if people want to slack, they slack whether or not they're in the office or at home. You just made the argument for me. You 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 rather meet somebody at the cafeteria and, and chat with them uh, rather than sitting in front of your computer with the webcam on. The webcam turned on does not even guarantee that you're actually doing anything productively. No, no, they're, so it's, they're also tracking keystrokes and whether you're logged into corporate system. And, and measuring people on output, this is, in my opinion, naive because there's a lot of corporate desk jobs, which is very difficult to measure output. And also, it assumes accountability and discipline. But how so, would you, again, what, what is that different whether or not you're not accountable or disciplined at home or at the office? I mean, there's peer pressure. When you're when sitting in open space and people are working, there, it's a mechanical, psychological thing. When people are next to you are working, you're inclined to work. And that's why in Europe, people do, do tend to work until 7 p.m. And in Mountain View, Everyone leaves to take their shuttle at 3 p.m. and there's nobody after 4 p.m. and I'm and I don't come in at seven o'clock in the morning like the Swiss do. So I I really have a number of examples which sound cynical, but I think it's more realistic depic uh, depiction of of how corporate life is. I'm all I'm saying is I have way more nuance, and I'm not. I and by the way, also another another aspect, and I'll close off on this because we spoke way too long. Um, <laughs> but I like travel. it. It's like a, a for once we have a controversial debate here. <laughs> business travel, you know, in most companies I've worked for, actually in all companies I've worked for, in all companies I have worked for, and that's about five or six different companies, you don't get to travel just because you want to. You have to go through approval processes. Your manager has to approve it. You have to justify it. It's not something, oh, hey, I want to go to uh, Singapore, whatever. To No, it's not that easy. Most people don't travel. And I... I would actually argue that a lot of the travel is indeed necessary. And most people, most people would, I would think, probably don't even enjoy that traveling that much. They are maybe forced because there's a client meeting. And again, for the reasons I stated, you make a better impression possibly by being in person, by having dinner after the meeting or whatever it is, and bonding with people that you're meeting. Again, there's so many different circumstances, but I, I, you know, I don't know where you're taking the data. The two thirds of the meeting can be done virtually. This is the office aspect. But for business travel, I don't know which proportion can be done virtually. Yeah, uh, technically, uh, anything can be done virtually. But do we get the same output to your point? Can we even measure that output? I don't even know. Well, if we come out of the pandemic and we realize we had uh, a similar productivity in in uh, with those office workers like us there before, that would basically indicate we don't need the business travel, doesn't it? Uh, for this, you have to have exactly two similar planets where one is going through virtual business meetings and another one where you're traveling. You can't compare the productivity. Of, in what Again, productivity? What, GDP said. growth? GDP growth uh, it varies from one year to another for so millions of different factors. There's no way you can measure this. And you know there's going to be a rebound in GDP because of the lockdown, not because of business travel being stopped or starting again. And it's going to start again anyway. We're going to have business travel again, just less initially 
it, I, I don't know. It's, I think, much more nuanced. Didier, you were again, saying. We never, yeah, again, we never said stop uh, all business trips and all, uh, all office hours. And obviously, uh, working remotely can only be efficient if you've already established personal relationships with your coworkers, with your, with your t- team workers uh, beforehand. So, but I mean, yeah, it makes sense to know the people that you're working with uh, personally so that, so that the, the work can, can be done efficiently. I mean, just ask the teachers about the progression of the, the 2020 classes. I mean, they've never seen them in, in uh, real life and, and the, the, the students are just completely logging out of their, their studies. So, yeah, of course, you need that personal relationship, that physical personal relationship to start with. But once that's established, uh, I think you can... I mean, I've never met Dirk uh, personally in real life, but, I mean, this this works. You don't want to. Um, yeah, but imagine how productive we could be. <laughs> All right. So I guess, I guess and here, here's the transition. I guess I am the dinosaur here because I want to stick to the old ways for the most part. And I don't trust that the new system that we haven't defined yet will work very, very well. I think we're getting there, but I think we have to be much more careful than this sudden uh, innovation that comes with office-less work and travel-less work. So I'm the dinosaur and you're the evolved species. How's that for a transition to the next motion? <laughs> pretty cool pretty cool so it's a transition to my motion which is yes. not bring back extinct creatures back to life let's not bring back extinct creatures back to life what is the context for this i did not ask you over email so i have no idea so i went into a specific direction but did you read something um, about this no this this is just a random uh, ran, random topic nothing uh, is random everything is just stimulated comes from a stimuli oh, external yeah. or your yeah. organs are telling you there something there has been a video that i, ah. that I stepped on um, uh, talking about this about bringing extinct creatures back to life yeah your okay organs. dirk for or against um so the motion is not bringing yes, I, I, love, I love i love double negative yeah i love double negatives so um I'm all for bringing back uh, extinct life. Um, not, Me too. Not every... You too. So, done. <laughs> I won. <laughs> Again. We voted. All right, you go for... You go... You want to bring back... So, you're you're doing the double negative and I'll be with the motion then. Go ahead. So, first off, a caveat. I'm not, I'm not for bringing back all extinct life. There's some nasty extinct life that can be... It can stay extinct for all I care. And uh, I would even go as far as saying I wouldn't mind if the common mosquito, for instance, goes in extinct. But that's maybe uh, there are biologists out there that tell me that this would be the worst thing to happen. So that's first. Um, I'm not talking necessarily about uh, the T-Rex being brought back like Jurassic Park uh, suggested. But there are, you know, there are animals going extinct every single day. There are animals that are system critical for whole ecosystems. And uh, once they are um, extinct, um, bigger shifts happen. And sometimes just uh, bringing some of these uh, animals back might be one of the savers of a whole ecosystem. So that's that's number one, uh, why I think we shouldn't extinct 
um, we shouldn't rule out bringing extinct um, species back. The next thing is there are very real limits as to how far we actually can go. So yes, we can bring like an ancient horse breed back by doing some genetic magic. Uh, we are limited to a relatively young part of this planet's uh, ecosphere and um, bringing those back may may need um may lead to to new insights and knowledge may help us solve some some problems like uh, hunger for instance there are plan there are plans that we know existed a couple of thousand years ago that would probably strive in the upcoming um uh, uh, upcoming climate changed world that's uh that's another factor right uh, our planet lived through some of the changes we are in right now before and maybe some of the animals and plants are worth being studied for that purpose so i would say there's nothing inherently wrong with bringing extinct species back and there's nothing inherently good in them being extinct so why why do, shouldn't we do it sebastian i agree with you I think we should maybe bring some of them back to life in a lab because they may have some interesting properties, but we should not bring them back to life to roam around because, uh, now that I get your attention, because evolution is there for a reason. It would be disruptive to already fragile ecosystems to be disrupted by all these new uh, or unadapted species that were extinct for various reasons so we have no idea of the consequences and you indeed mentioned the mosquitoes which we all hate as human beings but probably kill serve them. a purpose kill them all kill them but all don't take this out of context <laughs> i know what you're going to do with this <laughs> this is so bad this is so bad i should not trust you with this kill them all you know and then in another sentence which has nothing to do with mosquitoes i know what you're going to do so this is my main argument. Evolution is there for a reason, and there would be unintended consequences. And you all know Murphy's Law. If something is meant to go wrong, it will go wrong. So no, don't bring back the T-Rex. And by the way, did you know the T-Rex also had feathers? Uh, I discovered this a few weeks ago. It's not a joke. Uh, most T-Rexes also same had... family as the chicken. Uh, it's, a, it's a big chicken, isn't it? Yeah, so why not have chicken. this, you know... I don't know what's the what the eggs look like. Maybe for breakfast. Hmm? We have a <laughs> we, now. I know why we're not doing a video <laughs> podcast. Um, well, um, let's let's define what we mean by extinct. By the way, some of these animals were not extinct by evolution. Some of these animals were extinct by man. So I give you an example. A couple of decades ago, uh, some provinces in China decided that the co common sparrow is uh, is an uh, is a bird that um, is to be extinct, uh, is to be killed because uh, it picks up the seed from the from the farmland, and so they made a made it an initiative, a duty for every citizen to kill sparrows wherever they encounter them. So they made noises so the the the, the sparrow were not uh, were not, were not landing, and they flew around until they fell dead from the skies. As a result, they, they, they killed an entire ecosystem. Now they have to sometimes fertilize by hand. They try to reintroduce the sparrow. That was not evolution doing. That was stupidity and humanity doing that. Um, also, there are animals that practically live only in, in, in zoos anymore. Like, uh, you know, the panda bear, that, that there are some, uh, some specimens uh, somewhere, uh, like a couple of hundred. But practically, you, you have to go to a zoo to see them. And how 
about we we bring them back to their ecosystem? Is that the same as reviving an extinct species if it's if not can't existing travel, in the wild anymore? You can just see them in images virtually. It's the same. <laughs> can't travel. So the, so the my point being, yes, maybe there are species that should be in the in the lab only, and others um, we could f easily make them roam around freely, and it would it would be just the missing link in an otherwise healthy ecosystem, and a link that is missing because of us. Also, last point here to counter your argument: um, evolution. Yeah, evolution isn't there for a reason. Sorry, evolution is 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 what we observe by observing chaotic processes that lead to evolution. So um, there is no reason for evolution. Evolution is just no, a result. No, I didn't mean it as a reason, as, a, as in there is a just justification for it. I agree with you. It's observation. I'm just saying it's there in terms of it, what it means is that the, the species that are gone, for whatever reason will be replaced and by by some other the ecosystem will rebalance itself based on whatever is remaining so the sparrows in china that you mentioned are which are gone i guess the ecosystem there has adapted to this but, for, but by, by the way in good or bad ways it could be oh this specific plant not being uh, eaten up by the sparrow is now all over the place that's what i meant by evolution is there for a reason i.e the ecosystems adapt themselves so if you want to go back to another state You don't know what's going to happen. You may not go. You may not be able to come back to another state just by reintroducing that Chinese sparrow, because all the rest of the ecosystems have adapted to their disappearance. So that's what I mean by by the reason. It's not as in oh, agree with you. Observation, absolutely. It's just the phrasing was maybe uh, ambiguous. All right. So um, you're basically trusting evolution to do its part. If if we take out the sparrow um, and wait too long, bringing it back may introduce another I'm not variable. Trusting it, as I said, I don't, I don't put a moral judgment to it. Yeah. So trusting would assume I'm saying it's good. I'm saying it has unintended consequences, and it, we're so bad at predicting the weather, and it's a limited set of variables. I don't even see how we can predict what would happen if we reintroduce one species with every other connection with a with a world we're living in. And I'm just saying these unintended consequences, unless we can model them and have and be very clear that it is a net net benefit for society for the world then i don't think we're at that stage yet i'm not even sure if we can uh, you know evolution would work in our favor as well if you introduce something that is uh, basically that was extinct and is now coming into an ecosystem evolution would balance out that just as much as uh, the fact that uh, that it's extinct lydia do you want to have the chinese sparrows Well, initially, I was I was against bringing uh, extinct creatures back because, I mean, what would be the motivation? If it's just our entertainment, personal entertainment, then that's no good. If it's just uh, redeeming our guilt because we we broke the planet, then that's that's not a good re good enough reason either. And if it's ecology, uh, environment, re repairing the damaged ecosystems, then I feel like it's it's playing God's part, and and I don't believe that we. At, at first, I was I shared your point of view, uh, Sebastian, that I don't believe that we know enough to do this. Things would just go way out of hand. And also, um, I also believe that ecosystems are res resilient enough that if you just leave them alone and stop messing around with, it, with them, then they will eventually heal. But then doing a little bit of research for this uh, debate, I realized that uh, for ecosystems to regenerate, You actually need a very specific set of conditions. Just talking about forests, uh, you need seeds, water, 
possibly the right kind of animals to, to spread the seeds around. Uh, not too much herbivores to eat the plants when they're too young. Uh, the right climate, the right soil, etc., 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 and not uh, other species species preventing uh, the the sun to hit the ground and everything. So not no sprawling species. So even for something as simple, quote unquote, as a forest, it's not that simple for the ecosystem to regenerate after having been broken. And also, of course, there's the example of the Easter Islands, where we let things go so way out of hand that there was actually total extinction on the island. So if we if we don't pay attention to pay, pay attention to our resources and to the to the balance in our ecosystems, then that could happen at the at the planetary um, scale. And just to counter your argument that you're that we. We, we don't know how to do this. There has been some, some good examples of reintroduction, not of extinct species, but of species that had been kicked out of the ecosystem uh, by, the, by the hand of man. There's the Channel Islands where, the, where man, mankind brought the pig uh, and the pig started to, to sprawl. The foxes started declining. And then there was a, a pollution in the water that made the, the eagles die because the fish were were polluted and so in the end the the eagles that were that would feed on the pigs and regulate a little bit the pigs weren't there anymore and and there were practically no foxes anymore and so this bald eagle was reintroduced and everything went back to normal uh, because they they made it so that the conditions were optimal for the for the the balance to to to, to get back to normal normal quote-unquote because of course the pig is still there whereas it was not endemic of that island but still uh so we of course it's an island so it's much more easy to to know that there's there's a, a fixed amount of species it's not an open environment i think if we don't do anything we might be in a situation where we're gonna end up like the the easter islands and just have a barren barren piece of land so I suggest, uh, based on what you're saying, that we send all the pigs and the eagles to England. It's an island, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, they want a Brexit. All right, we dump our pigs and other kind of things we don't want. Ever since they've wanted the Brexit, you're, you're, you're always bashing Great Britain. I'm, I'm not sure this is fair, Sebastian. And they are not extinct yet, by the way. He just doesn't want to admit he... And here, the British and here I have my 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 kill them all quote, Sebastian. Oh, great, fantastic! <laughs> all right, any final few words so we can move on to the next motion, Dirk? So, I hear you about the risks. I do think there got to be strong conditions, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with bringing animals back that have been extinct. It's not a value that they are have been in- extinct, and sometimes they play a vital role, and bringing them back may be um, important. Also, um, who knows what we can learn from them? So there's always place for study and sometimes that requires them roaming around as well so the lab is not a place where you can study everything you might desire to study that's That's a fair point point. i had some similar arguments against the motion just like what you stated as i said i prepared both sides Um, but thinking a little bit more just now um, i guess our resources are finite in terms of where you want to focus research so typically i would not fund public funding 
I would not put public funding on this, uh, considering the limited resources. Private funding I can do whatever it wants, but even then I would maybe not recommend it. I don't know. You know, we are we are sometimes creating new species right now. You know, with uh, everything we do in genetics, we seem to have no quarrel with uh, with actually creating stuff that's never been on this planet. Wouldn't it be easier to argue for study on something that has been on this planet is so quote unquote natural rather than creating something entirely new? Maybe I don't know. I just uh, with the all the crazy health issues and biological issues we have on the planet where does this fit i don't know i know i'm just i'm just saying i don't know and i'm i'm curious as to where this would be in terms of priority in terms of climate change in terms of pandemic and what to do with coming up with vaccines for viruses it seems not that high up in in my scale of things based on what i can see at the moment at all let's when, talk about go ahead yeah. Lydia. final well, argument if we if we do bring back instinct creatures uh, back to life and and know that we can do this, then maybe we might, that's, the, that's that rebound effect. Like, okay, uh, I know petrol is cheaper, so I'm going to travel more. Uh, oh, I can always bring this species back to life. So, I mean, th there is that risk that if we go down this road, then we feel like our actions have less consequences because we can always come back come back to them later on, later down the road and und undo what we did. So, and I don't that's think it's the right way to, to go, to go about uh, stopping the climate, climate crisis and climate crisis. Let's talk about a new species now. And the motion that I came up with, thanks to Dirk, is non-fungible tokens for art is yet another bubble or yet another joke. Um, if you have not followed the news, this is the latest craze uh, around crypto stuff. You probably heard about Bitcoin. Uh, this is partially linked to cryptocurrencies because you can buy these tokens on the blockchain using cryptocurrencies. For context, I'll be very brief, these tokens for the most part, are just a certificate of authenticity. Uh, there is not the actual piece of art. They're just the warranty in a way or the piece of electronic certificate which says, yes, the image that you can see at that URL is the authentic, genuine one. And this is what you're buying, the certificate of authenticity. It is not the copyright. It is not the actual piece of art, just to be very clear. Now... I'm going to let you loose. You can fight. Go. Plus and minuses or for and against. Who wants to be for the fact that this is yet another bubble? We are long-standing fans of Bitcoin on this channel. Sebastian and I, we had uh, a few encounters where we were arguing uh, whether or not Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as a whole make sense. Um <laughs> And those NFTs are, as Sebastian said, all the craze right now, especially in the digital artwork. Um, I, I saw that um, the, the, the founder of Twitter sold a signed photograph of his first tweet for, I don't know, a ridiculous amount of money, like several million dollars. Um, there, are, there are a couple of these things, like animated GIFs, any, um, uh, tweets, Uh, Saturday Night Live made a skit, a skit about uh, NFTs and then sold the skit for 300 something thousand dollars. So it's, if you think about this, 
it's Bitcoin plus actually you're buying only a certificate that says, yeah, this piece of digital art is authentic. Then plus it's a digital piece of art. So yes, you can copy paste it as soon as you actually have in front of you. Nobody stops you from that. But you have a certificate that says it's authentic. Um, plus people start trading on this like crazy based on an assumed value. Plus the 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 uh, amount of money flowing keeps growing and growing and growing every every new new uh every new headline that uh, talks about nft seem to have a more ridiculous dollar number than the one before i would say if that's not the making of a bubble what is it's uh, this this thing will go this goes up in flames at some point a few people will have made a lot of money with this over a short time and this this whole thing will implode and come back Back to the place all those cryptocurrency things so far came back to uh, a niche uh, niche solution for a niche problem um, that is actually not really solving the real thing. The real thing being, people would love that uh, that digital art could be just as easy to control as physical art, which is unfortunately not the case. Lydia, what are your counter arguments? Thank you, Dirk. I'm not sure what um, what's the difference between everything that you've been saying right now and art, full stop. I mean, art itself is a bubble in that case because I mean, the, the most expensive piece of art, physical piece of art that has been sold, was sold for $300 million, whereas the, well, whereas the most expensive NFT to date is 69. So... I mean, everything that you've said about uh, the NFT is actually applicable to art, not the NFT in particular. So I don't see that there's anything different uh, with NFT for NFTs for art than there is in in the the, the, the trade of art um, as a as a whole. So for me, it's just another tool, uh, which is. Uh, for the conventional art as well as for the new kind of digital art, but it's there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, um, yeah, the 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 amounts of money uh, circulating to 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 transfer pieces of artwork are more and more delirious, uh, NFT or not. So that would be my first point. You want to react on that already? Yeah, yeah. You know what the difference is? If I buy an NFT to a digital piece of art, say a drawing of something that resembles uh, a woman uh, sitting in front of a weird landscape, um, then you're not buying this picture. You're actually buying a URL pointing to a digital file that can be, uh, be copied like a million times. And if the person owning that URL... Uh, shifts that URL to something else, you, there's nothing you can do about it. If I buy the Mona Lisa, on the other hand, I have a physical object that had been touched by a brush. I can I can touch it, I can look at it, and there's only one Mona Lisa. And that one Mona Lisa I can then put somewhere uh, for display. And yet now you can say, yeah, but you can make reproductions, Dirk. You can make a copy of it. Yeah, but the copy will... Maybe if it's a very expert copy, which makes it expensive in itself, but the copy will take a significant time to make if it's a good one, and it will be very easy to debunk as a real thing if it's a bad copy. So uh, that is not true for all those digital art pieces. I can make a copy that is 
indistinguishable from the original. And uh, those NFTs basically just just make money out of pointers. It's like uh, you're basically pointing to a place on the internet where some digital art sits, and you you take money for this. So that's that's the key difference, I would say, between quote unquote real physical art and um, and uh, the NFTs. But other than that, I would say, yeah, maybe real art is also a bubble. <laughs> I mean, a future motion. To Long, long-standing bubble. Though. You had other arguments, Lydia. Yeah, well, just to, to answer to that, um, for, for real art, you also have uh, uh, paperwork uh, saying this is actually a real Picasso. Uh, because it's not that easy when the when the reproduction is very well made. Uh, it really needs expert eyes to know if it's a real Picasso or a, or a false one. So um, I think it's more or less the same thing. Again, it's just a paper. It's just uh, some paperwork, digital or otherwise, that that allows to, uh, allows the owner to say this one is is exactly the original. In, a, in digital world, of course, everybody can have exactly the original, but at least the NFT says this is exactly the original one. It hasn't been modified. So this is the value of the NFT. But again, uh, that's not that's not actually my main argument. My main argument is that we live in the era, era of show-offs. I mean, the, the rarer something is, the more expensive it, expensive it is, and the more it has a future. So, so yeah, same thing with the most useless <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, for example, do you know that there, ex- there is a, a $14,000 tea bag with diamonds on it? A tea bag, you can only use it once. There's also a $1.4 million roll of golden toilet paper. I mean, these things actually exist. <laughs> so, who, who, I mean... I think nobody in their right mind would would want these things, but they actually exist, and people and 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 they were sold. I mean, if they had these values, because they were actually sold at auctions for that value. So, I mean, to NFTs your point, have a future if it's only for that. Because if something is rare, if something is is hype, if something is 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 tech savvy, then it has a future. Because in our world, showing that you own something that other people can't have is something interesting in itself. To and I have point, a third point, but I'll uh, get to that. To your point, later. price is merely the value that people ascribe to it that are ready to pay for something. And as we're talking about bubbles, they only form in, well, they don't only form in hindsight. You only detect them when they explode. Because if it does not or never explodes, it's not a bubble. So right now we're making a prediction or at least if we're saying it's a bubble, then we're making the prediction it will explode. But until it does, well, you know, it's not the case. Um, anyway, go ahead with the third argument. The third argument is that the art is the idea, not the not the actual realization of that idea. So, What do you mean? Because the Mona Lisa is of, the realization, of, it's the output of this idea of, not of painting a portrait. Not always. When you think about performing arts, when you think about okay. uh, there's there's a lot of art art forms that are okay. not about an actual physical output, but about the idea of something uh, like having two clocks on a wall and and having these two clocks desynchronize. So an NFT pointing to a video of that live performance would make sense to you. That's what you're saying. There was 
No, I'm saying that that NFT is a way to uh, recognize uh, and ret retribute that idea. You mean compensate? Even even if there's no physical output. In the case of the of the the, the Beeple compila compilation, there's there's actually images. There's something you can see, but sometimes art artwork is isn't even something you can see. There's there's this um, I can't remember the artist, but there's there's an art uh, an artwork where it's actually you can't uh, see it, you can't smell it, you can't hear it's it. Instructions <laughs> to tell you how to draw something. Okay. And the um, and and the right to use the instructions to actually draw that thing and that's the artwork so there's there's nothing there's a set of instructions so and, and, so let's sell so let's say let's sell a url to the idea for 20 bazillion dollars <laughs> 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 then i so own the should, idea we should, we should mint an nft pointing to todebate.eu absolutely and our listeners will totally not buy it but yeah <laughs> I, I mean, if, if Jack Dorsey can sell a tweet for millions of dollars, what is stopping us from selling well, to debate for, well, for what? <laughs> for, for the, to the point, to your point, Derek, that this is a likely bubble, there are actually very few buyers and tons of sellers. And these sellers don't sell their NFTs. Or when they sell them, they're, for most of them, a tiny, tiny amount or ridiculous amount. Or they're not selling anything. So... Uh, the, the very few buyers, you know, they have different just reasons for buying it. To your point, Lydia, showing off seems to be the one key aspect maybe, of it. Yeah. Uh, maybe to maybe to make money uh, by by selling it later or just sending a signal to the community and saying, hey, we're holding, uh, as the Bitcoin community would say, you know, holding, we buy and never sell to try and drive the price upwards. Um, I do like one piece of the technology, though, which is not directly connected to the fact that it's a bubble or not, but it's something you hinted at. It's the fact that you can set up an NFT to provide lifetime royalties to the original artist. You can say every time the NFT gets resold, X percent and the current trend, the current standard is 10%. 10% of any resale value of the NFT goes to the original artist. And this is particularly useful for up-and-coming musicians, for instance, who are not well-known initially and get ripped off. You could say they get ripped off by music distribution companies with deals that they cannot get out of um, when they get famous. So that's a good way to protect potential fame that tends to be monetized much better as you get more well-known. So I like the piece of technology. I like this aspect of blockchain, but indeed the crazy amounts make it really look like a bubble. Uh, and if you look actually in more details, there's a lot of controversy as to whether real money was exchanged. Right now you're exchanging cryptocurrencies, but until you actually convert that money into currencies that you can use in daily life, it all remains very virtual. And I can guarantee you, if you try to sell for a huge amount of cryptocurrencies into dollars or euros, it will probably destabilize the market. So uh, th that's another thing. Who, who says that this is the only bubble we talk about here? Um, right now, there are like every, cri every cryptocurrency out there seem to rush to the, the starting point to have their own NFT mechanism and marketplaces uh, come up like mushrooms uh, everywhere in the web right now. And some of these cryptocurrencies are also basically selling thin air. So I would say one, one making of a bubble is that if prices keep going up for less and less value and uh, it 
it can even be argued that some of those cryptocurrencies are not very stable to start with. Um, I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum may be one case, but there are like uh, uh, like 12 others uh, that are right now offering NFTs. And the more the pricier they are, the more likely it becomes that they at some point burst because those cryptocurrencies, some of them are bound to die, right? Some of them are bound to be baseless at some point. Any final words, uh, Lydia? I, I stay with my argument that, um, I mean, you can think what you want about the, the price of the NFTs. It's, it's, not, it's no worse than the price of any artwork right now. And, and I think it's just another way. It's, NFTs are, are, are made for digital artwork, but not only. I mean, they can also be used for physical artwork. So I don't think it's... If it, I'm going to go and give an argument against what I'm, I've just been saying is that if there's one reason for which the NFT is going to, to go out of business is because of the environmental costs of all this encryption. There are some controversial points about this. It doesn't seem to be a one-way street. Uh, let's go to the trivia piece. I got... 16 questions for both of you. Whoa. You have to use. We have questions for you too. Well, we'll see if you are uh, still, <laughs> have, still up for it at the end. Uh, do you see Lydia at the bottom of your screen, this little thing called a hand, a virtual hand? Can you yep. press on it just to see if it works? Okay. Now put your hand down. All right. So whenever. It, there has a little, there's a little bit of lag, I think. Uh, yeah, don't find excuses. One, two, All right. three. Got it? All right. So to know who wants to, you, you're both answering at the same time, but who know to know who will answer first, I will give you the floor when I say it's your turn. So that this is the hand. Okay, the first to press on the buzzer. Sorry, basically raising your hand is the buzzer, Dirk. Which African country was formerly known as Abyssinia? Damn it, I've seen that today. Ah. Ethiopia. Okay, you raise your hand. Go ahead. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Correct answer. Someone's playing Assassin's Creed a bit too much. <laughs> just kidding. I have no idea if this is in Assassin's Creed. I'm just well educated. All right. All right. Well, what is, okay. I guess Lydia, you can. Or maybe, maybe, maybe I pulled my trivia questions for you from the same web page that you pulled yours. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I use different pages, different uh, things for a, a different time. Sometimes I. It's harder when I want to come up with a theme like the red and blue. That I really came. Uh, Try to make it consistent. But anyway, I didn't have the time today. All right, next question. But tell me if you already know the answers, Derek. Otherwise, it's not fun. Then we can switch to whatever you prepared. Which singer's real name is Stephanie, Joanne, Angelina, Germanota? What? Lydia. When Stephanie? No. Maybe? I don't know. You're confusing. You do the, use Derek. the same page. Lady Gaga. Okay. Well, I guess we need to, your, <laughs> to go to your questions. <laughs> <laughs> now that we established that you actually know the answers to the questions I likely produced, now you're really, really f <laughs> up for this? <laughs> no, I only took the questions for, well, I don't know, maybe you actually came up with the same questions. <laughs> that would be funny. Should I continue or you, you read the same page? Uh, I don't know. No. Um, I mean, we can do the same thing. You can click Let's on the continue. raise hand Let's too. Continue. So maybe, maybe you don't remember all the answers. I'm, I'm asking you a question. How many ribs are in a human body? Yeah, that's exactly the same page, 24. <laughs> <laughs> okay 
Moving on to my did quiz. <laughs> but how many did you read? There was a lot on that page. That's funny. I mean, come on, there was tons of pages. There was not even the first. It was not even the first search for, result. For once, for once, I wanted to come with questions for Sebastian. <laughs> hey, you know what? I come, I come on. I do my research on on different websites all the time, and I mean the, the harder ones. And when I come with a theme, and then I try to research different things. In this case, it was completely random because I picked this website. That's so funny. All right, let's let's carry on. Let's carry on. I get one point. You get two points, Dirk. Okay, next question. You you can ask it. Maybe I have hey, it. Maybe I I'm don't. I'm not playing. You can still play. Lydia, you prepare questions too. Yeah, I have. I have. You, oh, you, you are last hope. I have a, I have an extinct animals. Uh, <laughs> quiz. Go ahead. Uh, so, in where is a species species of bison? I don't know if that's how you pronounce it in English. By, by yes, the bison. Bison, a uh, plant for reintroduction in two thousand twenty-two. Sorry, Canada, you... ah. South Africa, Argentina, or England. Okay, go ahead, Sebastian. Mm, Argentina. Nope. England. Give it a go. Yeah. England. England. I put my hand up. I put my hand up. He did not put his hand up. I answer England. <laughs> I just one guessed it. One point for me. No. So one point for me because I respect cheater, the rules. Cheater. Cheater. <laughs> respect the rules. All right. Next question. All right. Um, which animal has been a re has been re a reintroduction? The giraffe. Success? In Israel, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and the United Arab em Emirates. Go ahead, Sebastian. The three-legged ox. Just invented this. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is it the Bactrian camel? Is it the Arabian oryx? Is it the European green toad? Or is it the fire-sided salamander? Go ahead, Sebastian. Arabian Oryx. Yep. I had no idea. Completely <laughs> random guess. What would you answer, Derek? Uh, I would have picked the salamander, but I had no idea either. Okay. 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 Next one. So, but if you have if you have a little story, tell us the little story. I, you know yeah, more. I can tell you the little story. Ah, so, that's so, what I like. The little story because it's not late at all. Do you do you want to to hear about the the bison? Also, tell us whatever you know, whatever's interesting. So, the steppe bison is an extinct species of bison that once roamed through many areas, including parts of Europe, such as Great Britain, Asia, and North America. Uh, this animal is thought to have become extinct during the Holocene period, and given its, it, its importance in England's past ecosystem, uh, we want to reintroduce the European bison into woods near Canterbury in, and Kent, in Kent in 2022. Also, so tastes good. Off. So I was not far off with introducing the pigs back into uh, England. It's just yeah. a big pig. pig. Yep. A very big pig. Basically. Oh. But, yeah. And it tastes good on burgers. I'm hungry now. <laughs> I, yeah. I guess you already I'm had dinner, right, Dirk? Yeah. No? Yes, I do. It's dessert now for you. Uh, yeah, about about dinner. The Arabian oryx were heavily hunted for their meat mm, mm. <laughs> and horns. And, the, and their hides, and they became so, extinct in the 70s, and so it's captive programs, breeding programs that allowed for reintroduction. Uh, so while we are and at food... there are more than a thousand living in the wild. So while we are at food, which country consumes the most chocolate per capita? 
<laughs> Then Lydia has Sebastian. to answer. <laughs> What did you have for dinner? <laughs> I had chocolate. Twelve kilograms per year per inhabitant, and that's Switzerland. Yes, that's right. Also has uh, well, I th I like Belgium chocolate more, but uh, only by a. An inch. If I have, uh, I have have a choice. Let's talk about animals. What animal is constitutionally protected in Florida? Is it a sea animal or a land animal? It's an animal, Dirk. What are those? Uh, how are they called? Those those pink birds? No, no. Wrong answer. Flamingos. <laughs> flamingos. No. What the name? Yeah. Wrong. Yes, it's flamingos. You lie. No. A not. salamander. I don't no. know. <laughs> we, we actually mentioned that animal in our discussion today. A pig. Raise your hands. A fox. <gasps> An eagle. Yes, Dirk. A pig. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a pig that is considerably protected. It's pigs which are constitutionally protected. Not mm -hmm. a single pig, but all of them. Correct answer. <laughs> Yay! Hey, Dirk, today you're really winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question: The Statue of Liberty was given to the U.S. by which country? The Statue of oh, Liberty. Easy. Oh, you all you all know this, Lydia. France, of course. Yes, and Dirk, you seem to know as well. Yes, maybe useful. Anyway. Um, on that note, uh, what was until the Statue of Liberty the biggest bronze statue, and where would it, uh, where was it standing? Lydia, we're waiting for you to answer. I don't know. <laughs> Probably in Germany somewhere. <laughs> what it is? Yeah, specifically in Bavaria. It's uh, it's it's. The ba Bavaria, the Bavaria. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a really big statue that still stands in Munich. It was considered was considered the largest bronze statue until the Statue of Liberty. But does it have a name? Yeah, Bavaria. Ah, it's, okay. It, so <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a goddess. It's a woman. Um, a, it's predicting a woman with, uh, yeah. Well, very looks very. Old style Greekish. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking, honestly. It's not the most beautiful statue you can put there, but it was a. Hey, uh, you what's can't get a, everything. You get you get diversity. You can't get you know prettiness at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> How many eyes does a bee have? Wait, I'm not Dirk, five. Mm. Correct answer. I was surprised by this. I guess you saw it's the same. It's not even thing. an even number. Yeah, I know. Strange. Maybe it has an eye on top of the head. You know. Weird. <laughs> What kind of species is the large blue that became extinct in Britain in 79, but has been since reintroduced? Uh, sorry, a mammal, a fish? The, what is the large blue? The large blue? Obviously, that's a whale. The Great Britain whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a hum, the whale. No idea, no idea about the different species of whales, but I guess that you're correct. No, it's not a whale. Not a no, whale. No, correct. Then it's got to be a bird or a pig. It's not a bird. <laughs> a blue a pig. pig. A blue pig. It must be a blue pig. Not a pig either. And it's a flying blue pig, but it's not a bird. Uh, an elephant? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a giraffe. That's the only <laughs> the, the one left. <laughs> have been reintroduced in, in England, yeah. I don't know. The rat? Yeah, I don't know what the British eat. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a flying animal. A well, swan. A large blue. It's called the large blue, and it's a flying animal. Penguin. 
Uh, no, it's okay, an albatross. It's a butterfly. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who gives a, a shit? Butterfly. <laughs> It was extinct in, in the late 70s because uh, they, they couldn't understand why. And then they, they found out that they, it needed so many uh, different flowers to, to survive. And because of the, the farmers um, killing, killing all the, the plants, uh, the diversity in their, in their farms, it couldn't survive. So they, they prepared a spot where there would be loads and loads of different flowers. And it, and it came back. Do you have one more? Or that was all? Uh, I have others. Um, I mean, when we are with the Brits. Oh, I lost uh, the page. Um, what was the name? In the United Kingdom, there is a, a, a recipe that uh, you can um, you can cook on holidays. Where you, you stuff... And if you start with a sentence in England, and then it finishes with cooking, it just doesn't go well together. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's two it's, French people here. <laughs> it's it's actually a recipe where you where you put um nine birds into each other like f starting with a very small bird and you end up with like a swan and the the fun anecdote here is a friend of ours is french and at some point uh, she in a call with a with a um a friend of my my wife's uh, from the uk where he described that recipe she bursted out like not even the french eat swan <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I learned that you guys don't eat swan and I, I thought the French eat everything and so it's just taste it's always tasting good and looking fancy but swans seem to be off limits but the, the, the other fun thing is um, this is not even the highest number of birds there are there is a, a, a recipe in, uh, in Turkey that stuffs 17 different kind of birds into each other so you basically oh, start wait. with something very small and you end up with something like really? a turkey. Like, yeah. Like Russian dolls? Like yes. oh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't even want to know it through um how they stuff it inside each other. I well, no. I'm pretty no. I'm pretty sure there is somewhere a French cook who who prepares something fancy with uh I don't know, seventeen birds stuffed into each other. We have 17 dishes, probably, like seven course meals, 17 course meals. That would not be surprised me, but probably not a Russian doll mechanism. Not that nuts. Well, it's pretty... <laughs> I mean, the Brits and are always had different eating habits than the French. Henry VIII, for instance, served um, um, a cockatrice and a dolphin to the king of France as part of a massive feast. <laughs> So, yeah, it's not the only thing that the French and the the Brits differ, right? <laughs> Why not? Anyway, how are we how are we closing off this super <laughs> long recording? <laughs> well, I will I will do mercy to this recording by slimming it down in the post production. So don't worry. I guess we messed up the trivia in the end. Uh, thankfully, Lydia, you had some things to save us with questions we had no idea what answers <laughs> to give. I, I mean, know that you're saying elephants. 24 rips, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> um, you knew so, everything. So what was, again, the blue animal? I forgot. A the butterfly. butterfly. The butterfly. The no, you're not learning anything, do you? No, I'm too old for learning anything. Should we give it the final clap? Hooray for Sebastian! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, the audience really <laughs> likes me today. Hey, hey that's, that's you what we're asking for, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so we are definitely the most professional podcast ever. We should... <laughs> <laughs> we should we should sell licenses to live uh, attendances on as an NFT Here? or something. Sell licenses for licenses after talking about NFTs licenses. Yeah, every recording one of them. And, and also, he, also, yeah. Well, it's, we, we give instructions to how to do a good podcast, and that's then we one sell NFT with an for NFT. one NFT to watch you, one NFT to watch Lydia, one NFT to watch me, one NFT to get the full recording, one NFT to have the idea of the full recording. One, mm -hmm. <laughs> knowing that each NFT costs about a hundred dollars to mint, as the language goes, we're going to be rich very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, you can even have a signed copy of a two debate episode signed by sebastian lydia and myself How do you sign a copy uh, like you, you can have you, you, you can TV have a copy where we had the idea the of signing it oh nice Ooh. sebastian is ready with his virtual he's pen. i'm gonna sign it but i'm worried about scratching my screen actually. i tell you <laughs> i have such a such a rich collection of sebastian screenshots by now Are you capturing all this? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my God. All right, we need to wrap up. I'm hungry. I got work to do. You're not letting me go. Leave me. And apparently you need to go to the toilet as well. <laughs> Anyhow. All right. How do we wrap up? How do we get out of this recording have, from hell? I have no idea, but I'm sweating a lot. Uh, I should not raise my arms. This has made me nervous. That's called, that's called power posing. It's all good, Sebastian. Do yeah, the tree. You, you know I'm actually standing up. No, that's dancing. Right? That's I, dancing. I'm not standing up, no. If you do I know this. you're not standing up, but I am for the past 90 minutes. So that's I'm why you're sweating. A little bit tight. Yes. Um, I guess this is this your is episode it. for today. This is it. So give us feedback. Thank you very much. Be safe. Sorry, be everyone. Sane, be healthy. We apologize for all this mess. This is all our doing. The extinct species, the viruses, the travel that you can't do. This is all Dirk, Dirk's and Lydia's fault. I am very sorry that you had to endure them today. Thank you for your support. Thank you for the claps. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Dirk. And tune in to the next episode in just a few weeks. Nothing more to add. Thank you. Bye, everybody.